Well, can you believe it? It's January 1st, 2023. Well, I think it's only appropriate to say Happy New Year. Right? Bless you guys. We're so grateful for what the Lord does in us and with us. <sighs> what did everybody do last night? Rest? Relax? Party? Do people still do that on New Year's Eve? Party hard? Ah, party hardy. The young ones? Mm, I don't know. You missed the time? You missed it? What, how'd you miss the time by 12? You, it takes you an hour to make tea? <laughs> oh, your TV. I'm sorry, I heard tea. I heard tea for drinking. But, but, but Sophia, that's okay. It wasn't midnight in Vancouver yet. Oh my goodness. I was uh, involved in the uh, Canadian Prophetic Council's event last night and it was very powerful. It came from uh, uh, Quispamsis, New Brunswick. And it had representation from all across the country. It was a very powerful event where the Lord spoke and shared his heart through so many of his children, uh, the prophets. And it's exciting. I'm not going to be sharing any of that today with you. <laughs> I've got something else that the Lord has put on my heart. Because I believe as we're entering into 2023, and just as you're seated, stand up for a minute. Take a step back, as, as far as back as you can to your, towards your chair, so that your back of your legs are touching your chair. And just with your left, right foot, just draw a line in front of your left foot. And now just cross over it. I know it's very difficult in some of your cases. We have crossed over. We have already crossed over, right? 12 hours ago <laughs> and 6 minutes. We have crossed over. We are into this new year. You may be seated. This new year is a year that makes us one step closer to the full manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. Greater than ever. The kingdom of heaven is a different kingdom. It's a different kingdom than what we're used to. Thank you. It's a different kingdom than the kingdom of King Charles. The Shah had a different kingdom. In Egypt it was King Farouk. All of these different kings. Caesar, back in the day of Jesus. These are all different kingdoms than the kingdom of heaven. And I believe that we are 
at that line that we just drew on the sand in front of our feet here and the carpet. We're standing at that point where we are about to express and see the kingdom in a deeper way than we ever have. Why do I say that? Because Matthew 4, Jesus, when he heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Remember last time I shared with you, I said that Christmas is an amazing time because it reminds us that God is faithful to fulfill his promises that he spoke through the prophets. We live in a day where the, a lot of prophets speak things that we need interpretation to understand how they have been fulfilled, if they have. And I'm not against prophecy. But there's been so much prophecy that you wonder if God is keeping his promise anymore. I believe in prophecy. I believe in the Spirit revealing things to humanity before God does them. I believe that God does nothing until he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. Nothing. That's what it says in the scripture. It's not my story, it's his. So what he spoke about, about the life of Jesus and how it would fulfill was already spoken about by the prophets and Jesus was just living it to prove that God's word is faithful. He is faithful. We've been just singing it. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death. David said, Yo, yea, I, though I walk through the shadow of death. Here this prophet Isaiah is saying that people are living in the shadow of death. How has 2022 been for you? You don't need to answer me out loud, but just remember. Has it always been fun? Has it always been wonderful? The last three years have been very hard for almost all of us with COVID. But it almost makes us forget all the other garbage that we have to deal with. And there is a lot of garbage in all of our lives that we've had to deal with just because we're human. Jobs, health, relationships. People living in the land of the shadow of death. The light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? We say it so often, we hear it so often, that we don't even let it affect us the way that it did when they first heard it. He preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. What does that mean? 
repent. Yeah, we've had so many sermons on the word repent. In the Greek, it's the word metaneo. But in the heart of it, in the heart of the word, it means change. It means change. I'll come back to that. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming. Now that's highlighted in yellow so you can see it and not miss it. He did two things. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now this is going to be a lot of talk about healing today. As much as I believe God is a healer and God wants to heal today as much as any other time in history, this is not a message only about physical healing. If you think I'm only talking today about physical healing, you'll miss the point of what the Spirit is trying to say to us. Okay? I am pushing for healing. I'm going after and chasing healing in my life and in your life and everybody's life I come into contact with. But this is not about just physical healing. So rethink different. Okay? Part of us receiving the kingdom is learning to relearn how to think. Okay? So put healing of physical bodies out of your mind for a moment and let your mind be expanded to hear the fullness of what the Spirit is trying to say to us today. Agreed? Okay? Thank you. Healing every disease. Listen to the description. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases in their body. Brought, and, and those suffering from severe pain. Yeah, we can say the body. How many here have experienced severe pain in your body? Physical pain. How many here have experienced severe pain of another kind that the doctor can't give you a pill for? Yeah, it sucks. It hurts even more than the pain of your body. To see your child, not well. To see your parent, not well. To see your brother, your sister, not to, your own body sometimes, the pain of what you're going through, not your physical pain, is worse than the pain of the body. It says here, those suffering severe pain. We think of pain that Tylenol can fix or morphine can fix. He didn't say that. Open your mind. The demon possessed. The demon possessed? What's that got to do with healing? Because he healed every disease and sickness among them and that news went around but the people that came were demon possessed that he healed. Has nothing to do with only physical healing. We limit him. Those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them large crowds from the Galilee, from Galilee the Decapolis Jerusalem Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him now why this is Matthew's telling us the story Luke the doctor Matthew was a fisherman sorry a tax collector thank you good catch Peter was the fisherman right and John and James 
And the others? Okay. Matthew was a tax collector, a CRA agent. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have a, an amazing experience in a story with a CRA agent for another time. It was a God moment and a God encounter. Luke, however, the doctor, the one who spent his life learning how to heal people, his focus was a little bit different than Matthew. His focus was again about God's faithfulness and fulfilling the prophecies and how they come to life in our lives. So he puts it this way. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it he found the place where it is written. Now, January 1st, first day of the year, it's challenging to be at church, to be online. You're faithful as it was your custom. And you are here. But it wasn't just about custom. It wasn't just about the routine. There was something else that was going on. And there's something else that I hope is going on in your life that you're here today. Not just because you made it a routine, but you want an encounter. And Jesus had that encounter. Listen to how he put it. He read the scroll saying these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. What did he proclaim? We just saw it in Matthew. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. Here he opens it up, Luke opens it up, says that the good news of the kingdom is good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim. What was he proclaiming? He did two things, Matthew said. He proclaimed the kingdom, the good news, and he healed the sick. Two things, proclaiming and healing. Matthew, clearly, Jesus and Luke is explaining it. He's proclaiming it. And he's explaining what it is that he's going to do. What is the healing? The healing is good news to the poor. Proclaim freedom to the prisoners. There's all kinds of prisons. There's the prisons that have bars on the door, on the on front of your room, the cell, and there's prisons that have no bars. The prisoners in the cell suffer. Freedom loss. All kinds of other garbage that goes on in jails. The prisoners outside of those cells without the bars suffer. But they just don't know it. They don't know that they're suffering. Which is an even worse kind of suffering. In, not physically. Not even emotionally sometimes. But it's a worse kind because it is a numbing that you're not even aware that you're in a prison cell. You know they, they've asked questions about... What happens to children that are born in prisons and they're not aware that this is a prison that's different than society outside. But that's reality for most of us. Recovery of sight to the blind. That's a nice thing to proclaim that he's coming to do that. But who are the blind? Just the ones that have no vision? Visual vision? Or the ones that are blind to the reality that they're in a prison cell. The ones that are blind to the reality 
that they're living in. To set the oppressed free. To set the oppressed free. Are you oppressed by any chance? We live in a free country. We can do whatever we want to do. Well, we saw how that worked out in 2000 when the restrictions and the <laughs> requirements of masking and social distancing happened. Everybody was like, oh! Not everybody. Some people were for it, some people were against it. But we saw how freedom and how much oppressed we are under our own. I'll come to that. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, today, this scripture that Isaiah wrote, the prophecy, the faithful God that you believe in, has been faithful today to make it real. It's as true as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus stood up in that synagogue as it is today. Today, he is here to do all these things that you see behind me. To bring sight to the blind. To bring good news to the poor. To give freedom to the oppressed. He is here to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Are you hearing it? And then he lived on, he carried on, he did all these things. And then three years later, he was crucified, died on the cross, was resurrected, spent 40 days eating and drinking and sharing about the kingdom with his disciples. Did you know that Jesus and his resurrected body ate? He ate. Yeah, the first day that he came into the room, the upper room, you know what the first thing he asked them was? Not why are you afraid? Not why are you hiding? He was a good Middle Easterner. I mean, he really was. He was from the Middle East. He asked a simple question. Is there anything to eat here? <laughs> I'm sure they had hummus and they had uh, <laughs> all the good stuff. Lafa, yeah, they had all that. And he ate with them. The resurrected body that Jesus had after the resurrection could eat. We have a symbol of the body here today. It's a poor symbol. A little wafer, a cup, very neatly packaged. It's a poor symbol. But it's not about the poorness of the, the high grade of the symbol. It's about the symbol representation, what it represents. After he did that for 40 days, he said, listen, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes, 
you will be able to fulfill this. What was it that they were supposed to fulfill when he comes? Say it out loud. When he comes, he will give you power to, come on, shout it out. Be my witnesses. Isn't that what he said? Did he say anything else about what they will do? Did he say that they're going to heal? Did he say they're going to cast out demons? He told them that when he was living. Go do these things. But when he told them about the Holy Spirit, he told them that he will give them power to be his witnesses. Right? Am I dreaming here or is this what the scripture says? Check me out, guys. It says that those that are wise among you, when someone speaks, weigh it against the word to make sure that it's true. Now the Pentecostals have made the coming of the Spirit about the speaking in tongues. You with me? Was it about speaking in tongues? No. It was about when He comes, He will give you power to be my witnesses. The tongues was just the tool. The tool to fulfill what he promised them that the Holy Spirit will give them power to do. So the Pentecostals miss it on that one. But they're actually not missing it in practice. Because even though they make that the, the sign of your baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, they're actually one of the most active groups of the body of Christ as far as being witnesses to proclaim and to bring healing. So let's not beat up on the Pentecostals. But the point isn't about tongues or not tongues. The point is about being witnesses. Does that mean that the person who was born mute when they're baptized in the Spirit and they don't speak, they can never be the witness of Christ? No. We understand these principles when we take them to their limits. The limit of the absurd or the other absurd. But we live in the middle. So we fight about which one is the right one. Some of you here, when, when you were filled with the Spirit, you spoke in tongues. Some of you here, when you were filled in the Spirit, you, by the Spirit, filled, you're baptized in the Spirit. Sorry, not filled. When you were baptized in the Spirit, you never spoke in tongues. Does that invalidate what you experienced in faith? I would love for all of you to speak in tongues, Paul says. But there's something better, love. So he spoke with them for 40 days, ate with them, fish on the seashore. Wow, that must have been amazing. Now it says they roasted it, so they weren't eating sushi. <laughs> but they were enjoying good fish, Galilee style, at the seashore. And then he tells them this. All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me now. I'm adding the word now, but therefore, because all authority has been given to me, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, 
some teachers interpret that to be go make disciples in all nations. Some people interpret that to be make disciples of the nations themselves. The truth is both. You can't make a disciple of a nation without having disciples in that nation. If you have enough disciples in that nation, that nation will be discipled. So it's not arguing about which one is the correct interpretation. This tension, whenever you find a truth, a doctrine that's worth standing on, it exists. Most doctrines, let me cover myself here, most doctrines exist in attention. Is there one God or three gods? It's one God, who's three? That's attention for us to understand. Is Jesus man or is he God? He was man and he was God. That's attention for us to understand. Are you predetermined by God to be saved? Or do you have free will to choose not to be saved? Both. God predetermined that all of us would be saved in Christ. Predestined. That's a big word. All of these things exist in tensions. And baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. How many commandments did Moses give them? Ten. How many commandments did Jesus give them? One. One. And the second one is just as great. He gave them two. He actually didn't give them those. The first ones are already given by Moses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second one is what he gave them. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in all the words of Jesus, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve our worship. I'm not saying that he is not to be worshipped. He himself never asked anyone to worship him. Go through the Gospels, all four of them, and find one place where it says, Jesus said, come worship me. But you'll find many places where he says, come follow me. He's not just going on a walk and says, come follow me. Like, you know, a little dog that you walk behind. He's talking about following him in his ways, in his mind, in his heart, in his behavior, in his attitude, in his thinking. Peter, who was one of the fishermen that walked with him, denied him three times and then came and asked for forgiveness and then Jesus asked them, do you love me? And they're eating fish. And he says, of course you know I love you. He goes, no, do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? Peter was close to, to, to Jesus. And in Second Peter, he writes these words. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. This is, he's talking about how we follow him. And goodness. He called us by his own glory and goodness. Though these he has given to us, through these he has given to us very great and 
precious promises so that through them, through these precious promises, we may participate in his divine nature. So when Jesus says, follow me, he's actually inviting us into the divine. Not to be God, but to participate, to experience, to enter into, to be possessed by, to be filled by, to be surrounded by, to be experienced and taste and make it part of us. A divine nature. That's too big for us to understand. That's too big for us to even begin to process. What does that mean? We say this, that this is the blood and the body of Christ and we take it and we eat it and we believe that it is a representative. The Catholics believe that this actually becomes the physical body of Jesus that we eat. I love that analogy because it actually helps us. You know, they tell you, you are what you eat. Well, it's true. Those cells of what you eat become you. They form who you are. The divine nature of what this represents entering us actually helps us to be conformed, to be changed. I told you you're going to do a lot of rethinking and relearning today. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He says, follow me, so that now you can participate with me, this man-God, God-man, that you can enter into the same kind of experience where the presence of God dwells in you to empower you to experience the full authority, forget authority, power, presence, love, kindness, compassion, character of God himself in your physical body. But Jesus warned, this is how we follow him. He said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a big plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. We've heard this. We've heard sermons on it. Don't judge others. All of that. All of it is true. But I want to ask you something. What is the plank in your eye? What is the two by four sticking out that knocks the tables over and every time you walk into the room and just knocks somebody's head? And What is it? Could it be, could it be that Jesus was talking about our planks as being our ways of thinking? Our ways of thinking actually are who we are. Someone once said, I think, therefore I am. You've heard the quote. Was it Descartes? Rene Descartes. 
he doesn't say what I think is who I am. But somebody wise, a king in the Middle East by the name of Solomon said, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So it's the question that I asked about could it be is actually, it is. When Jesus is talking about the plank and the eye, he's talking about the way we think. Because what we think forms our everything. It actually is indeed our self, our ego, our person. Paul identified this natural self as a false self. Why? Because we need to have our minds changed. We need to have not the evil desires that Peter talked about. And he calls that, Paul calls, calls it the sarks. In other words, in English, the flesh. We look at the flesh as fleshly desires. Right? Someone who's living in the flesh is doing things that they shouldn't do. Relearn it. Rethink it. The flesh is actually yourself. Your own thinking. Your own attitudes. Your own behaviors. Not just the lust and the, the different things that are expressed out of the heart. And I don't mean sexual lust only. I mean lust of all kinds of things. But he's talking in reality. We have limited our understanding. He's saying your own understanding, the way you think, is your flesh. He goes on, Paul actually, actually, he goes on and he writes a lot about it in Romans. And he says, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your thinking. We need a different way of thinking. We need a different way of understanding. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. There's an amazing Catholic priest who have been following for some time, Richard Rohr. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. Uh, he's in New Mexico. He's 80-something years old. 80, I think. And he puts it this way. Christians are usually sincere. Don't read ahead. Just follow with me. Don't even look at it, you know. Just let me read it to you. And just listen to it. Too late. Christians are usually sincere and well-intentioned people. Do you agree? We're all sincere, well-intentioned? Until they get to any real issue of ego, control, power, money, pleasure, and security. The most well-intentioned Christian person who all of a sudden feels that the security that they have in this world is crumbling, 
man, they get ugly. Church splits. As soon as leadership, power, control seems to be crumbling, you see the worst of people. Husbands and wives, Christians, husbands and wives, our divorce rate in the church is as high as it, maybe even higher than it is in the world these days. Why? Because my right, my ego, my way of thinking, she doesn't agree to. He doesn't agree to how I want to raise the kids, how I want to spend the money. Why? Then they tend to be pretty much like everybody. You can read the rest with me. Everybody else. We often gave them a bogus version of the gospel. He's condemning the church. He's saying we gave the people in the church a bogus version of the gospel. You're safe to go to heaven. Your eternity is secure. Instead of actually, he calls it a fast food religion. Without any deep transformation of the self. Paul says, work out your, your, your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because the self is alive and it's so wicked and it's so self-preserving and it's so entrenched in everything that we are that it's a constant battle to overcome the self. A constant battle. We talk about the three enemies of your life. The world, Satan, and the flesh. Please rethink, redefine the flesh, not to be just your desires, but your actual way of thinking. It needs to change. The result has been the spiritual disaster of Christian countries. The first Christian country in the world is and 301 became Christian, was the nation of Armenia. Does the nation of Armenia today reflect what it means to be a Christian nation, a discipled nation? There are some believers in Armenia for sure. But as a nation, there are some amazing disciples and peoples that are making disciples. But as a nation, it shifted. Canada that he may have dominion from sea to sea is carved in our parliament. But we make all kinds of decisions as a nation that are very weird against the scripture in a lot of cases. They, that tend to be as consumer-oriented, proud, warlike, racist, class-conscious, and addictive as anybody else. And, more, and often more so, I'm afraid. The United States, and this is not a statement on the left or the right, because it's growing in the States, is a nation of immigrants. And they want to protect their borders from immigrants. How, how does that work? The land of the free and the land of the refuge. I'm not judging the U.S. They need to have boundaries. Okay, I get that. But what he's talking about here is the heart of the Christian nation, the heart of the Christian community. We are very ugly in the expressions of our faith. 
You know, I told you in the mid-300s, there was a battle between Armenia and Iran. Armenia was outnumbered by thousands of Iranians or Persian soldiers. The Persians had elephants. The Armenians never saw elephants in battle. And they lost the war. The war was about whether Armenia should be Christian, as it had now become, or it should go back to being Zoroastrian. Fire worship. They lost the war. But the Persian king at that time said, oh, you know what, keep your religion. And Armenian community, the kingdom of Armenia under the Persian control remained Christian. And Armenians celebrate that as a big historical reminder. I've told you I have an issue with that being a spiritual celebration versus a national celebration. Because the 300 years before that, the Christians in Jerusalem under Roman control never picked up a sword to defend their faith and the faith grew. That battle was the first time that Christians took sword to defend their faith. Further discussion on that later. But Jesus was very clear on it. And that's why this Richard Rohr can say some of these things because of what the scripture says. Jesus says, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses their life will preserve it. Rethink. We need to have a new mind. We need to have a new way of thinking. Our old way of thinking, the world tells you, you got to look out for number one. you got to look out for your own things. And we teach that to the kids from the day that they're born. Be careful. Don't talk to strangers. Yes, that's good. When you go to school, keep an eye on your things. That's also good. When you go to the park, just don't leave your bike there. Somebody will steal it. That's very good. But then all of that begins to form a grid inside the mind that I have to protect. Why do we let our kids go to higher education? Be honest with yourself. Why do we encourage them to get a degree in university or college? Why? Isn't it so that they can get a job? Why? Isn't it so that they can make money? Why? Don't we want them to have a better job? Why? Because we want them to make better money. Because in our mind, we associate money with effort. There's a reward for the input. You work hard, you earn hard. You earn big. You don't work so hard, you'll be very poor. But I've come to give good news to the poor. You know what the good news is? I'm going to hire five people to work the vineyard today. Oh, that's not enough. I'm going to need another five. Maybe three hours later, I realize. So I'm going to hire another five. Two hours later, I'm going to hire another five. I promised the first five, I'm going to pay them $100. Now I've promised the next five, I'm going to pay them $100. And then the next five after them, that are only going to work four hours, I'm going to give them $100, like the ones that are working eight hours. And then the last five, that are only working an hour and a half, I'm also going to give them $100. Is that fair? What's the point of that parable of the vineyard? The point of it is simple, but we don't see it because our thinking is stuck in this world's way of thinking. You work hard, you earn hard. You work more, you earn more. But what he's saying in that parable is it doesn't matter what you deserve. You're going to get it. The grace, the mercy, the compassion, the love, the faithfulness, 
It doesn't matter how bad or good you are. God is going to give it to you because you don't deserve it anyway. There are four, I'm going to talk about these four. They're not the only characteristics of the kingdom. But I want to focus on these four for a moment as I wrap up. Four characteristics of the kingdom that Jesus preached about. Remember this kingdom? This kingdom? The kingdom of heaven? What are the four characteristics? Well, the first one is healing. He proclaimed and he healed. But I want you to get this. Healing not only of the body. Healing of the addiction of the way we think. Healing of the stuckness of how we think and we think we are better. We think we know better. We think we act better. We think we are more helpful or not. The second is reconciling. In the kingdom, as much as it is within your power, it says, live at peace with everyone. We've talked about all of these, but I've never put them together as one package like this, as being key characteristics. Key characteristics. The third one is forgiving. Jesus taught it so often as part of follow me. Teach him what I taught you. Teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And the last one, again, he talked about it so often, is peacemakers. If you're going to take a picture, wait, there's going to be a better slide that will show you a little bit more. Healing, reconciling, forgiving, and peacemaking. These are the characteristics of the kingdom of God. These are, when they're lived out by you and me in community, as a community of people that are broken, that are still working it out, that don't have it all figured out, that their minds are still corrupt, that need to be changed constantly. When we walk that way, that will be attractive to others because then when we are first healed, our minds are healed, our minds are transformed and it's not fully, fully healed or transformed, but it's in, it's in the journey. We can begin to tell others about how and when he comes, he will give you authority and power to what? Be my witnesses. Be my witnesses. I know there's another gospel that talks about these are the signs that will follow those who believe. Mark. It's not what I'm talking about, the signs. I'm talking what the Holy Spirit is coming to do in us to make us his witnesses. To show others what it means to follow him. So what does that look like? In practical terms. And this is where it gets really hard work. Healing. I'm sad to say, it's the opposite of what we would normally think. It means having to go through suffering to get better. It means having to go through garbage. It means having to go through being crushed. 
to get healed. Nobody who's not sick. Jesus said, I, I haven't come for the healthy, I've come for the sick. Is that to say that there were those that were healthy and those that were sick in his time? And he only came for the sick? No. It's to say that all of us are sick. All of us need our minds changed. All of us need our transformation to happen. We just need to come to the awareness of it first. Know that you're sick so that you can be healed. And the coming together to that place of realization is a hell of an experience. You have to go through hell to come to realize that you're not that guy that you thought you are. And that's painful. Someone once said that grace is the most humiliating experience. Grace is the most humiliating experience because it comes to, it brings you face to face with the reality that you're not good enough to make the change. You need somebody's help. You on your own can't do it. Reconciling? Wow. We all want to win. We all want to make it. We all want to have it. But to reconcile means to surrender. That's the only way you win. I can fight you and I can beat you in an argument, but I just lost you. Why is there so much divorce among you? Isn't it because, there's, because of the hardness of your heart, he said? And this is not a judgment on those that are divorced. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that we're all in the same situation. We've all divorced in our hearts against God, against one another, against our brothers and sisters and parents and children. In our hearts we are broken. In our minds we are broken. In our minds our thinking needs to be changed. The hardness of our hearts, the hardness of our minds is what brings us to the place we're divorcing from one another and from God. Healing, reconciling, forgiving. You know that forgiving is like dying? Because you're actually saying, whatever hurt me, whatever loss I've had, I'm willing to put that aside and switch my attitude so that I can now forgive the person who has hurt me and damaged me so much. It's, it's a death. And then peacemaking. Give it away to keep. He, he who loses his life will gain it. He who will gain his life will keep his life will lose it. That's the last part is our witness. The last part is us being filled with the Spirit to become his witnesses. This is what I believe the Lord is calling us into in 2023. To be a community that lives this way. To be a community that extends healing to one another. When I see something wrong in you, I don't judge you, I don't get angry with you. I just pray for you that you come to the place of recognizing and, and be healed. It doesn't put me higher than you because I see your garbage. But there's a plank in my eye that I better have removed first before I come to talk about the speck that is your garbage. This is what the Lord wants us to do. So in the next five minutes as we wrap up this service, I'm going to invite you to take a moment 
and to come up here one by one and take these elements and take them back to your seats. I'm going to move this table down. Just quiet our hearts and then come up. One by one, come up and take the elements and take them back to your seat. I'm sorry? Yes, go ahead, please. Just quiet your hearts and ponder what you heard here today. What is the Lord inviting us into? Not to worship Him, he's, I said, but to follow Him. The more you follow Him, the more you'll want to worship Him. He doesn't mind being worshipped. That's not my point. He doesn't deserve. He does not not deserve to be worshipped. He deserves our worship. But our worship without our transformation, what's the point? It's religion. It's outward appearances. But he wants our hearts, our minds changed. So come on up. One of the early church fathers, one of the early church fathers is a man by the name of Tertullian. He said these words in Latin, Carus salutis cardo. It has made history. What does it mean? The flesh of Christ is the heart of of salvation. What you hold here is a representation of the flesh of Christ. I'm desperately trying to get you to think differently 
Think back to what Paul called the false self, the sarks. The sarks versus the caro. The sarks is the self that is wrong, the flesh, but this is another type of flesh. When Jesus says, take, eat, this is my flesh broken for you. This is the flesh that is a different type. This is the flesh that is the correct soul. He wants us to be transformed into this. This is what gives healing to our minds, healing to our bodies, healing to our relationships, healing to our everything. He wants to infiltrate us with this. The heart of salvation isn't about going to heaven as much as that is so important. It's about what we do here on this earth that demonstrates the fruit of salvation. The heart of salvation is the flesh of Christ, not the flesh of me. My flesh needs to be changed. So Lord, as we look at this element, we recognize the grace, the undeserved, unmerited grace that we don't deserve that you give to us in your death, in your resurrection, in your adoption. And as we look around the room and as each of us holding this peace, we recognize that we are one family together with you. With you online, with you who are absent, with you who are not yet part of us, with you that still need to be healed, with us all who are still in the process of being healed. Let's eat together. That same night he took the cup as they were celebrating the Passover. They drink the wine as part of the celebration. But he told them that this is the blood of the new covenant in my kingdom. The blood that was shed for you. The blood that contains all of this, this nature of dying to live, suffering to get well, surrendering to win, and giving it away to keep it. So as we drink this, may it be a flow in our bodies of this new life, a flow in our minds. May our taking this in be an expression of our desire to be conformed to your image to have our minds transformed. Let's drink together.
I believe this is our marching orders for 2023. I believe this is what the Lord would have us work out with fear and trembling in relationship with one another, in small groups, in Sunday services, in Sunday school, in everything. I believe this is what he is asking us to step into. As we wrap up here today, I bless you. And uh, I'll be here at the front. If anybody needs prayer, come and I'll pray with you. Others will be here that will help in praying with you together. But let's all stand. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace, his mercy, his goodness. And Lord, I pray as the word confronts us today, that it shifts us so that we can begin to see things differently. To relearn, actually to unlearn things that we have been stuck in our thinking, thinking that they are the whole truth. To be expanded in our mind, to be transformed in our mind, and to walk in the fullness of what you have in store. So Father, I pray for every one of us here, those that are absent, our loved ones who are walked away from church, every single one that we are in touch with, that we have influence with, that as they see us walking according to this, your call, following you, living as you lived, that they would be attracted to you, to fall in love with you, to want to follow you. Lord, forgive us for the arrogance of thinking that we are all right and have it figured out. I thank you that you are not silent, but you speak, and that you continually speak, and that you continually draw us deeper into your heart. So Lord, may your blessings now rest upon each one of us, our families, whether here or elsewhere, however spread out our families are, on our homes, on our bodies, but most importantly, Lord, on our minds, our ways of thinking. We surrender them to you today. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Make his path wide before you, his path. And may he grant you peace. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. See you at some point throughout the week, here or there or anywhere. And next Sunday here, we'll be back and we will worship together. God bless you. I'll be here for prayer if anybody needs.